Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you would like to meet to go over. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm on a podcast and I don't have a record deal. But hi guys and welcome back, back again to the Beaver Life Show with me, Tori Ree. Uh, I'm just going to start saying that really quickly because you already know what you're listening to. So I'm really sorry for just killing the time and telling you all over again. But I hope you are well. Uh, for those of you that are based in the UK, I hope you are braving the storms right now. Um, everybody else, I hope you have had a fruitful week. Uh, I'm quite excited that we're in February now. I think the year seems to be moving in the right direction. Um, everything starts to, to be moving now, if you know what I mean. Um, I haven't really got any exciting news for you, to be perfectly honest. I was going to sit here and do like a nice little intro. Um, but I haven't really got too much to tell you other than I'm really excited for this week's episode. I'm really excited for next week's episode. So I'm going to shut up and let you enjoy. But I just wanted to reach out quickly and say, I hope you are well. Please uh, keep up with letting us know kind of how you're finding this podcast. Please give it a like, give it a subscribe, share it with a friend and know that we love you. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Viva Life Show with me, Tori Ree. <laughs> I'm so going so to have to come up with a new jingle. So <laughs> today on the line is one of my bestest friends, Miles Kasseri, also known as Healthy Crazy Cool. Welcome yeah. back, Miles. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me once again. Of course, of course. This is a slightly different uh, podcast to what... Miles normally talks about which is kind of uh actually no it's not because you normally talk about unconventional things I guess yeah taboo, I, taboo topics you are like the, the... yeah yeah I think that's my that's that's my thing on YouTube I, I've just learned not to hold back and to kind of break taboos because I know exactly. that yeah 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 I think it's just it's, it's a it's allowing ourselves to kind of actually normalize the things that we deem as unnormal and just allow everybody to reconnect again exactly um, exactly and and I think also Again, like it, massive contrast to last time we spoke on, on this podcast. I, for me, this is going to be, I guess, quite difficult. You know, I'm quite nervous about it because it's a subject that's so close to home and it's a subject that I've struggled with my whole life and still do to some extent today as well. But I'm just going to try and be 100% open and honest just in the hopes that other people, you know, can relate to it and learn from it, hopefully. Yeah. Which I'm sure they will. And to be honest, I think it's even like however close we are, I think it's going to be kind of like, an eye-opener for both of us as well with this conversation yeah, yeah so totally. guys I guess we might as well say what we're talking about rather than being more <laughs> mysterious and elusive um we're actually going to talk about addiction on this podcast mm-hmm. um and I think it comes in so many forms and that's why it's actually so important to talk about it yeah. um because so many people just assume addiction is the the people on the streets who are addicted to crack cocaine or whatever exactly. um but obviously there's so many different interpretations of it and, and different levels to it so we're going to talk about your journey in particular to start yeah. with okay um so I guess it's probably worth kind of going back a little piece to where it began yeah I think um I mean for me I I I I, I still I I don't know if it's it's fair to say that people are born with addictive personalities or maybe it's more nature or nurture I'm not really sure I mean with my own story because I know addiction does run in families as well, and it certainly does in mine. 
But going back to the beginning with mine, obviously growing up in professional sport and from the age of five, kind of having that regimented routine of training for five hours a day, you know, up until I was like 20. Mm. Um, and I think even though it was for a purpose, it was the repetitive behavior, the re- the constant repetitive behaviors, which kind of kept me together. It was almost like my scaffolding, you know? Mm. And I think when my uh, tennis career ended due to injury, et cetera, I felt I felt empty without that kind of repetitive pattern or a repetitive insert of something during the day to kind of make me feel whole. And I think that is one of the deep causes of addiction is people that feel an emptiness and we mm. we try and we try and fill it with something. Trying uh, to create some kind of structure in an unstructured part exactly. of your life. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's when other areas in our life feel very un- out of control, we often try and fill it with you know it can be and addiction comes in many forms and like you said I know we think of typically people think of addicts as people on the street on crack cocaine but it's not you know there are people that you know like for me with addiction with exercise addiction with prescription pills even if they're prescribed by your doctor they can still become very addictive Mm. um there's you know I've worked with I guess we'll get to when I worked with with addicts a bit later but you know an, an addict is not also someone that is kind of failing in life and just completely their life is in smithereens and to pieces there are a lot of very very successful people um that suffer with addiction behind closed doors but just don't talk about it because maybe they feel ashamed about it as well Mm. and I think sometimes it can also be the case of actually the addiction is is what helped them get to a level of success do you know what I mean when when you're addicted to to just pushing through and reaching something in particular or doing a certain thing every day that you know is is working for you it becomes the justification actually this is working for me so I'm not going to change it even though there may be other detriments to it in regards to maybe your health exactly exactly and I think typically addicts suffer with this very you know all or nothing thinking there's kind of no gray area and this is something that I'm still working on to think that you know things don't have to be black and white but we do often have you know very very black and white thinking and um, and, and like you said, I think addiction and that very perfectionist mindset in certain ways can, and I actually spoke about this in a recent video, it can help you because it, it kind of means what you're doing, whatever you're doing, you'll always push yourself to be the best at it. But at the same time, it's like with the all or nothing thinking, it's like sometimes you won't even bother if you don't think you can be the best. I think that's part of the mentality behind it as well. Mm. But um, But definitely, I think the root cause of addiction is typically that we feel some kind of emptiness in our life and we try and fill it with a substance. And once, and, that, and again, that substance can be anything. With me, it's been exercise. Um, it's been food. It's been mm. prescription pills. And I'm going to be really open and honest about what they were. You know, I've had a terrible, terrible, there was a, a, years of my life when I didn't want to feel what was actually going on in my life. I wanted to escape reality. I think that's another very important thing to bring up is it, addiction can be a form of escapism a hundred percent it's forcing yourself to feel something other than what you're actually feeling right exact hundred percent and I would I would take uh, you know I would take Valium just to not feel anything just to numb out because I was so petrified of feeling what was actually going on in my life and therefore you know once you've been doing it for a prolonged period of time um, you don't just take substances to feel elevated or to feel numb eventually you have to keep taking them just to feel normal and just to function mm. and yeah you're changing your baseline yeah mm, yeah okay that's uh, that's the thing isn't it? it it like you say there are so many different forms but the the root cause often all comes from the same place 
Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess it kind of moves into like how how do you kind of get out of those things? How do you even recognize those behaviors? Like for you, yeah. I think prescription drugs, obviously, as soon as your doctor's no longer prescribing them, you may have to seek elsewhere. That yeah. may be a sign that actually, okay, this is, I'm no longer kind of maybe needing these. So it's a different reason behind it. Mm. But for example, stuff like exercise mm. or working like to extreme levels, whatever it might be, that how do you get out of that? Or how do you recognize that? I know it's very difficult and I think a lot a lot I mean for me personally as well I think you know it's I think it's it took me about five or six years to actually accept and to realize that yes I'm an addict because for a long time I tried to justify my behaviors with you know the excessive exercise or the binging on food or taking Valium every day um, otherwise known as diazepam to just numb out um you have to recognize it eventually and for, for uh, unfortunately for a lot of people if they stay too isolated, they don't realize that. And um, it can just go on and on and on. And I think that's another thing we need to talk about is isolation with addiction. Because I know for me, the reason that mine carried on for so long was because my addictions, especially with the prescription pills, took over everything in my life where, you know, if someone invited me to a party or, you know, a club or even just to go out for dinner, I would think, oh, shit, you know, is that is that going to get in the way of me at the time that I take my pills? It's almost like mm. it gets to the point where nothing else matters because all you want, all you can think of is getting numb to not feel things. I was going to say, uh, like, obviously that Valium, for example, is something that I, I've never experienced. Like what, what was that feeling when you were on it? Is it just a case of like, you just end up monging? Or? No, I mean, not, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I've got to that point before where you just take, take so much that you literally feel numb I, I would almost liken it to the feeling of, I mean, I, again, I've never been very drunk, but I, I would liken it to the feeling of, um, of, 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 of taking alcohol, except the effect lasts much longer. Mm. Um, so essentially, you know, if you're feeling extremely panicked and anxiety, whether it's mental anxiety or it's semantic anxiety, and you're just kind of um, shaking and, you know, worried about things, it's, it's something that just calms you down which I, I guess can be a beneficial thing, but at the same time, you're not dealing with the actual things in your life. It's a sense of, it's a form of avoidance as well. Mm. Yeah. And I think another really, just with my own personal story, one of, you know, one of the things that really, really triggered it with me was of course having um, a very bad disease at one point where, you know, I had very high adrenaline. They had to take one of my adrenal glands out. And because of that condition of high adrenaline, which was very, very dangerous, I was put on these drugs, very, very hardcore sedative drugs mm. um, for years. And so then eventually when I overcame my medical condition and had surgery and all of that, it was still like I still wanted to take those drugs, even though I didn't need them anymore, because I knew that they helped me to feel safe. Yeah. And they took away those awful, you know, those awful um, buzzing energies that I would always feel throughout my body, for sure. Damn. So, yeah, I was going to say, what are kind of like the different ones that you've experienced and kind of how have you not necessarily even conquered them or just found ways to kind of live with it? I know exercise is obviously one area that, yeah. that I'm aware of with you. Yeah, definitely. I think um, like number one is, yeah, owning up to it and, and, and also but also talking to people about it. A lot of addicts will suffer in silence for many many years you know you know until they're some of them people some suffer their whole life mm. and kind of just alternate the substances that they're taking to kind of fill that void 
But um, one of the biggest things for me, because again, I lived in isolation for a lot of years in my early 20s. Um, but one thing was just opening up to people and telling all of my friends what was going on and reaching out for help, even though it wasn't necessarily professional help. It was at least telling other people about it. So it wasn't a hidden taboo and I wasn't feeling ashamed about it anymore. Um, that was one of the first steps of me to kind of, you know, bring myself back to reality, because when you're in a state of taking substances every day to numb out, you're not dealing with the reality and you're not in the real world okay. and you're not really a part of society. It's almost like you've completely isolated yourself and you're just zonked out. So to kind of bring yourself back to reality, even with just the people around you and engage in normal conversations and have normal social situations, I think those are the things that really helped that was the trigger in my recovery to kind of mm -hmm. notice that there is actually life outside of addiction that I kind of deserve as well. Cause I think mm -hmm. a lot of addicts feel unworthy of real life. Um, and also, I guess as well, this is going to get a bit deep, but again, like one of the places I worked in as a nutritionist for five years before I started doing YouTube, well, actually it was simultaneously with YouTube at the start was I worked in an addiction clinic and the reason mm. they hired me was because they only would hire, uh, whether it was the psychologist, the psychoanalyst, the nurses, the doctors, I was their nutritionist. They would only hire people that were former addicts mm -hmm. because in order to work with the patients, they truly believe that to help an addict, you have to, you have to be an addict. You have to understand, right. you have to understand the mentality behind it because of course, a lot, because it's very unspoken about, um, a lot of people just don't understand it. And, they might look at, for example, they might look at someone like me and think, wow, you know, he's just got problems. And what, you know, why is he doing these things? And it's very, it, it's reckless. Why are you taking pills? Why are you ever exercising? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? But they don't right. understand that it comes from a deeper place of just trying to cope and just trying to feel safe. Um, and definitely one of the patterns that I noticed when I was working in that clinic, working with the thousands of people that I did is that, you know, typically a lot of people, it comes from, it stems from being abused as a child, whether that's in the form of physical abuse, mental abuse, or, or just neglect. Mm. Uh, I've, I've met so many people that have fallen into the trap of taking things, you know, not to feel just because they feel so empty in their life already. Um, and, it, and it's really, really sad. But of course, the earlier you can get help, the better. And I guess that's why we're speaking about it, because I know a lot of people are suffering in silence, whether that is with eating disorders, food, pills, um, you know, and stronger substances, but it, it's okay to admit that you have a problem and, and to speak about it openly because trust me, a lot of people do. Trust me, right. a lot of people do. And do you know what I think is probably like the most unspoken addiction? And I know that is probably the most suffered mm. is the, the obtrusive thoughts. I don't understand the word obtrusive. Explain it to okay. me. Okay. Obtrusive from the point of view, they like, it's, it's like somebody just barging into your house. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, and I feel like you can almost become addicted to these this negative thinking, this self-shaming, this self-hating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And th it's that whole victim mentality. And I know just from my own example, I mean, it's obviously a very different kind of addiction, but it made me almost feel better about life. That things, If something didn't go my way, it's like, yeah, well, because I'm not worthy of it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it was almost justifying harder experiences or whatever by just self-sabotaging myself and it becomes like this 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 spiral of absolutely absolutely and, and that's why I want to take it back to the point of um you know 
children, youngsters, teenagers that are physically abused or mentally abused, you know, just like I was when I was young, very, very badly physically abused. Sometimes we, again, like you just said, we don't feel worthy and we repeat that cycle of abuse. So even when the person that is abusing us is removed in our lives, for, for in, in, you know, in my case, it was my father um, and also a tennis coach when I was younger. When those people are removed, it's like we're almost used to feeling abused or put down or not right. worthy of things. So therefore, you repeat the cycle with yourself of self-abuse and numbing yourself with substances. And it almost becomes yeah. a comfort. Absolutely. I'm so glad you just said that. Yeah, you get comfort within addiction because, like I said, when you don't know that there are other areas in your life which you can't necessarily control, it is a form of, OK, at least if I take this, I know how I'm going to feel and I know that I'm mm. going to be able to cope, even, of course, it's the wrong thing to do. Um, it becomes a sense of comfort. Sometimes your only comfort and especially with the isolation thing, if you are very, very isolated within your addiction, it's your only form of comfort because you don't have friends, you don't have family, you don't have social events. Right. Um, and that's one and the of thing the things. Is, but yeah. I think that's the mad thing. Like you could have friends and family around as well who deeply care. But yeah. when you're in that kind of isolation period, that yeah. doesn't matter because they're not there. As far yeah. as you're concerned, they can't feel it. Do you know what I mean? They don't understand yeah. it. Yeah. And exactly. Yeah just that inner battle but on the kind of flip side just talking about having the family and friends that do care uh, because generally like obviously when you are going through those things you do feel completely alone but the likelihood is there is somebody who cares as being that that one person from the outsider who can't reach in like how could you advise them to kind of because I think it's always a tricky one to know what to do when you see somebody suffering. Yeah. Um, it's like there's been a couple of mental health awareness stuff going on recently. I was talking to a friend about it actually yesterday and she was like, oh, I went to this day the other day. And she was like and they were explaining to me, like, don't be scared to ask somebody questions like mm. you saying, like, are you struggling with this right now? isn't going to then prompt them to go and do it. But it mm. just makes them aware that actually maybe somebody is paying a little bit more attention. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. However, on the flip side, and, and I'll talk from personal experience as well. Initially, it can almost feel like you're being attacked. Mm. And it can it can sometimes make people shut down more because you know that you've got this whatever the substance is that you're using. Um, or even if it's not a substance, if it's something like exercise, if you know that that's your comfort, and it's what's keeping you mentally safe, even if it's unhealthy for you, Sometimes if people come from the outside, you can feel like, no, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to have anyone get in the way of what's keeping me safe. I'm right. going to push you away further. So absolutely, like, it is all about opening up to other people. And if there is someone suffering in that state, and I, one of the sad things is, and especially, of course, eating disorders are, an, are a form of addiction as well, addiction and control. It's so painful to watch from the outside, not knowing what to do or not knowing how to help someone. Right. because if you do initially even if it's with the best intentions if you go up to them and be like you know I can see what you're doing and, and I'd love to be there for you they can shut down even more and push you away because they feel attacked mm. so what is the best route because I think that's the thing isn't it like yeah when you are that person on the outside like I think it's too often as well that people do get too scared of saying the wrong thing that they actually end up doing nothing. And absolutely. that person is even more isolated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why my family held back for so long and, and watched in silence because they literally, number one, they didn't understand it. Number two, they just didn't know what to do. And and I think it it, it can go, it can go either of two ways. Like either the person 
could possibly get sectioned or they could, you know, admit that they need inpatient treatment, which for a lot of people is really the only way when they're in a real ditch. Or somehow you can just have, you know, you can find some kind of inner strength to talk to other people and to take tiny, tiny steps. For me, it was like talking to my little sister about it and Mm. then opening up to a few more friends and then speaking about it openly, but not in an ashamed way was what made me realize actually what I was doing. Because when I was deep in it, to me, it was just the norm. Mm. And I didn't realize how abnormal my life was compared to other people and seeing how other people were socializing and you know, having normal relationships and engagements made me realize, wow, there is there is actually something outside of this and maybe I deserve it. So like for mm. me, that was the first step to, I know not everyone can go down that path. Some people do literally need to have the control taken away from them mm. because, because they're in such a ditch. But luckily for me, I was able to, uh, you know, thank God I was able to, I mean, I, I say thank God I was able to get out of it. But the thing is, I, I do still struggle with, with certain things today. And, I, and I'm mm. still open and honest about that because it is a process. It's not, I, 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 I definitely think once an addict, always an addict. Um, just manifests in different ways, right? Yeah. And it, 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 sometimes it can just be a case of managing it rather than thinking, oh, you know, I'm not an addict anymore. I'm just going to be totally normal. That, that's unrealistic to think like that. Mm. Um, I think like everything I do these days is, is with some form of addictive personality, the way I approach everything. But I'm able to manage it and still have a normal life at the same time. And again, like, you know that you're one of them. The amazing people that I have in my life now, our little family, our Vivo Life family, we are literally like like blood, mm-hmm. like family. <laughs> Just a feeling that love from from outside and, and knowing that actually I'm worthy of that now makes me less likely to fall back into other things to not feel things because I'm actually feeling good things for once and allowing myself to feel them. You know, if you right. know what I'm saying. And I, I guess it's a case of as well, like maybe, so, okay. So I'm just kind of putting like, a rough kind of idea of how people can it's one thing dealing with it but then it is obviously being that other person so just showing somebody that you're there without yeah. necessarily even you can you can maybe touch on it like tread waters to see where they're at whether they are open to talk about it or not yeah um without kind of any accusations but just kind of talking it through yeah then letting them know that you are there with that non-judgmental unconditional love yeah so that then once they are through it they're ready to come to you exactly and I feel like like for us for example you're now in it we're now in a position where I can notice behavior so if you're stressed and I start noticing you're doing cardio every day I'm like "Uh uh-huh yeah yeah and Uh you're gonna call me out on it yeah yeah totally right and 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 I'm now at the point where I can accept that constructive criticism from people because I know you all love me so much and I actually want to give you a really specific example when we were obviously all in bali what was it like a month and a half ago jesus Mm. it's gone fast when we were in bali um the beginning of our trip i was me and lizzie who i know has already been on the podcast um fitzy's girlfriend and one of my best friends love her to bits we were just lying down in the sun and and i I, do you know what i don't think i've even openly spoken about this to anyone else but me and her were just lying there and she's very very aware of my behaviors because she can read me like you know she can read me like a book and she noticed that um the first few days we spent in Bali, we were laying in the sun all day and everyone else would eat lunch and I wouldn't eat lunch. And then I'd just be like, yeah, I'm just going to nibble on some fruit and just going to lay here. And then I'd go out for dinner with everyone later. And she, when we were lying down, she kind of was like, Miles, you know, I know no one else is saying anything, but I'm just going to be legit with you. Why, why are you, why are you restricting during the day? Why are you, why are you not eating lunch with us? Why are you not eating the same breakfast as everyone else? Why have you gone back into your own world of eating melon? 
just eating melons throughout the day, which obviously for me is, is, is ridiculous. And I was only doing that because we were in the sun. And in my mind, I was kind of like, you know what? When I'm at home, you know, I've struggled with food before. I'm very, very, like, not regimented, but I'm very aware and I'm very, mm. very conscious to f- fuel my body well throughout the day with good quality, high protein meals and, you know, balanced meals. And, you, you know, I'm all about that. Yeah. But I was in my mind, I was like, you know, I'm on holiday. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to intuitive eat. If I don't feel like eating, I'm not going to eat. But it was kind of like I was getting a buzz out of that. Mm-hmm. I was getting a euphoric kick out of out of not eating enough during the day and just ridiculous falling back into old habits. And she called me out on it. She called me out on it and I just burst into tears. And I think there was two reasons why I burst into tears. I think number one, it was because I was in de- I had fallen back in de- into denial thinking yeah I'm just going to be intuitive eating out here and when I get back home I'll just go back to you know really right. take- taking care of my diet and stuff and actually realizing no I think I was doing it for the wrong reasons and number two I think I burst into tears just because I knew that she cared so much mm. and it and it meant so much to me um and it was a big pivotal point in in, in our trip out there and made me realize that wow okay miles you need to be more responsible with yourself even if you are on holiday mm-hmm. and number two look at the amazing people that you have around you that are willing to call you out on your shit, even if it hurts you just because they care so much. And, right. Yeah. Okay. So I just want, that'd be, I think it'd be interesting as well if we can touch on a couple of, obviously no names disclosed, Yeah. but on a couple of other people's like stories and journeys, because as both of us have mentioned, we mentioned numerous different examples already just from our own experiences, but just different kind of signals and stuff that there are out there and the different the different ways that it can manifest so that we can all collectively be aware of not only ourselves, but others. Mm. Oh, were you going to mention someone? <laughs> no, I thought you, I was asking you to. <laughs> Oh, are we are we thinking about someone specific? I'm like, who is No, thinking? no, no, no. I wasn't going to go with any specifics because that, <laughs> that would be a little bit blatant. But yeah, no, j- just just some stories of people who have kind of what what I think with kind of the work that you've done. Yeah. Obviously, I feel like you've reached a a, a great point of self awareness, but obviously that's not come with a lot of work and a lot of hurdles and a lot of mm. kind of harsh realizations do you know mm. what I mean yeah. but there's a lot of people who are kind of experiencing it in different ways as we've both mentioned yeah. there's different triggers for them that have helped them realize and then different ways that you can kind of overcome and manage it going forward yeah because obviously there's all it's not always a happy story like it can ruin people's lives absolutely and I, that's the thing and I, I think one other thing I should bring up as well is this is not just with my own personal experience but it's when when I used to work with the addicts in the in 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 the specific clinic, and we we, we would also have their families in on certain days, mm. because one thing that the families of addicts always say is that it's almost like there's a death within the family, because right. you, it's it's almost like you've even though they're physically there, it's almost like you've lost them. And I know from personal experience, it, my family said that to me. They were like, you know, we felt like we lost you for about five years. We literally didn't. It was they were like they were mourning my death, even though I was physically still there. Um, but yeah I think I just lost my train of thought <laughs> okay so we were talking about different like it's because I'd mentioned about it ruining people's lives oh really I was just lives. saying obviously in regards to to different examples of some people yeah ruining people's lives in the way that sometimes the substance in question can just it becomes because it means so much to you and you get so afraid of not having it sometimes this is another thing of the mentality sometimes it's not even 
that our body needs the substance or we're craving that, you know, the feeling of maybe some people drink alcohol, they take cocaine, they take drugs, they overexercise. It's not that we desperately need it. It's the fear of not having it. Sometimes just the comfort of knowing that it's there is what kind of keeps us together. Mm. But of course, we do see tragic stories of, um, I mean, it is sad to say, and again, we're not going to mention any names, but even on you know, in the world of vegan YouTube, which I'm on, or just the health and fitness world on YouTube, we, you do see functioning addicts, you know, not taking mm. accountability for it because to them, they're still trying to normalize it in their head, whether it is, you know, obsessively counting calories or obsessively weighing themselves or, you know, justifying the fact that they're going to smoke weed 10 times a day just because they live in LA and it's legal. And it's like, yeah. you know, you know what I mean, you know? Yeah, no, completely. And that I think that's the thing. <laughs> I've said this. I think I think if if we tallied up how many times I've said this in this podcast, I'd probably onto double numbers. But there are so many different ways in which it manifests. Absolutely. And guys, like it's really taking a moment to sit back and actually reflect because I think the majority of us have some form of addiction, mm-hmm. some form, whether it's mild. Where, like however aware you are maybe mm. it's a case of you like doing certain drugs when you go out partying but actually you're going out pretty much every weekend or yeah. maybe it's you, do you know what I enjoy a glass of wine every night that I get in from work but yeah. it gets to the point where actually you don't feel like you've had a relaxing evening unless you've had that glass of wine yeah do you know what I mean or absolutely yeah yeah exercise yeah is another key one I, I, I foods think- yeah, and I think that once, it, for me as well, I mean, I get comments all the time because obviously on my channel now I, I do certain challenges and recently I did, and to be honest, it was, it was a stupid challenge, but I did it to prove a point. I basically did the OMAD diet, which is eating one meal a day. And the reason I did it for a week as a vegan was because I wanted to prove there's still certain people, I know we're going a bit of a tangent here, but there's still certain people that say, oh, it's so hard to meet your nutrient needs on a vegan diet. And it's like, I wanted to prove that even if you are stupid and you just eat one big meal a day, you can meet all of your nutrients within that one big meal. Cause I just wanted to show how powerful, you know, plant nutrients mm. are, et cetera. But, you know, I was getting, even though everyone enjoyed the video and it had a massive reach, I was getting comments saying, you know, Miles, you know, is this safe for you to do that? You're a former addict, you're a former food restrictor, you're, you know, you're a former binge eater. Is this even safe for you to do that? And it's like, I kind of felt like, you know, why should I be excluded from engaging in experiments just because I have a, 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 a you know a history of addiction, um, and also you know with the gym it's like now of course I used to abuse the gym and now I still go to the gym pretty much every day but it's like some people might still see that as a form of addiction but I'm kind of like well actually it's very healthy to exercise if you're doing it in a moderate way frequently. Mm. And I think that's the thing though, isn't it's it? A fine it line. Is, it's definitely a fine it, line. Fi- fine line. I was going to say that because. Obviously, as I'm sure you've experienced being a former addict, it's so easy to justify your behaviours. So I think it is really like those people that are concerned, it's breaking it down. It's like, look, okay, I do at the moment. So say this conversation between you and I, I'm like, look, you're still going to the gym every day. Concerns me slightly. You're there for an hour and a half every single day. Like what's going on? Mm. Because Mm. I'm just assuming you're doing an hour and a half of cardio and they're not eating. Just, mm. just an example. Yeah, Whereas yeah. then, because we've had, we actually had a similar conversation where you were like, actually, no, I only do cardio maybe like three days a week. Yeah. The other days I'll generally do um some kind of weight training or whatever. Yeah. Then I'll yeah. do like my stretching, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like I've held you accountable, and you've been able to kind of justify your own self awareness as well. 
and exactly. that's the thing sometimes it is having those people that are safe spaces for you to actually check in with and be because yeah it can be quite easy to be like no this is not like, this is normal I should be exercising yeah or it's exactly the same with food you know, I know it, it, it is good for me to eat all of the this fruit and it's like okay but you need to eat other stuff as well exactly 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 and it definitely is about holding yourself accountable and like i said like 95 percent, i i look up and, and as you know i look after myself very very well just because i'm so conscious i have to be conscious of what i'm doing and hold myself accountable to it every day but you know i'm still susceptible there there are days when you know maybe i've been to the gym in the morning and i've done weights and i've eaten really well all day and i've really fueled my body the best and not you know taking things like valium but then again i might get a massive panic attack in the evening and my initial reaction, rather than think, okay, I'm going to call Tori, or I'm going to call Fitzy, or I'm going to call Josh, or I'm going to call whoever, you know, out of our family, mm. I'll be like, you know, what? I'm going back to the gym because I need to numb my feelings. Mm. And I know that before, when I used to overexercise, I used to come out of that gym numb. And so whatever I was feeling before, it was gone. So it's really difficult to kind of think, there's a really easy way to numb my feelings right now. But instead of indulging in that, I'm going to work through it. And I'm going to talk about it with a friend. Mm. Yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. It's, it, is, it is an interesting one, isn't it? Le- like learning how to live with it. Yeah, it is. And, and that's the thing. It's like having an ad- addictive personality, it, it doesn't just... Um, it doesn't just mean about un, you know unhealthy things like you know like you can be abusing things but even for me like i i get addicted to so many different things it's mm-hmm. like I, I i get addicted to you melon. know i mean i get addicted to melon i'm highly addicted to tahini obviously we all know carrots this. carrots i'm addicted to carrots you know i'm i'm addicted to editing you know ed- editing is you know it's my job and i love it um, and i'm able to kind of indulge in that different world of just being you know creativity but for me it's, I wouldn't say it's an it's not an unhealthy addiction, but without that, I, I it's kind of part of my scaffolding. I would still feel like, wow, I'm going to fall apart. Mm. I was going to say, and it, it, it is, isn't it? It is part of an addiction. Realistically, yeah. it is. Yeah. Because if you were sitting there and being like, Do you know what, it's work time. Let me put in five hours a day. Da 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 da. Rather than all of a sudden you sat there behind a screen for twelve hours, like it's not healthy. Yeah. I mean. Never- the- the end result can be healthy because of course you're producing something that's going to help other people. Of course. Yeah. And in my case, you know, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people, but there's ways of doing it in a healthy way. And there's, you know, cause I Mm -hmm. I think like, for example, the healthy way of editing is like, you know, do three hours, take a break, you know, go out for a walk, see some friends, maybe do a couple more in the evening. But with me, even to this day, and I've absolutely been open and honest about this. Sometimes I can start editing at 8am and be like, I am not going to move. I'm not going to let myself move until I finish this and sometimes that can be till 8 p.m at night it can be 12 Mm. hours straight and I'm like wow Miles okay you achieved something pretty brilliant that you could put out to the world now but But your eyes are going crazy yeah but you didn't look after your own body you didn't even feed it with food and water and now you've got to sit down and make up for the 4,000 calories that you need to eat and it's like you know I I I, you know I'm still on my journey and of course I've come so far Mm. but even within every single everyday life you know there are still elements of that all or nothing thinking and sometimes I have to say you know just find that great area just find that balance it's it's funny because I preach it to others all the time but it's It's okay to put yourself first sometimes it's okay to put yourself first sometimes I'm still trying to learn that though and you know that Mm -hmm. but I mean aren't we aren't we all I think we're in a society where at the end of the day our purpose is to serve others but we can't successfully serve others unless we are serving ourselves correctly Right? Exactly, exactly. Um, 
And I think, yeah, that's the biggest thing. We are so used to just being told to go, 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 like put everything into it, go, go all out. And it's like, Mm. actually, I'm going to be way more productive and way more healthier, this, that, and the other by allowing myself variety, allowing myself time, Mm. not just, it doesn't have to be everything. Okay. Things have deadlines. I completely appreciate that, but it, 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 it's, planning your time correctly and utilizing your it's been a smart worker over a hard worker exactly exactly and that's the thing that's one of the things I still struggle with it's that sometimes you know if I if I have a day when I've been with family when I've been friends when I when I've not been filming I've not been editing I've not been creating something for other people I'll get to the end of the day and I'll be like wow you know I had I had fun today with with the people that I love but I didn't actually achieve anything and that's when the addictive mind can come back into it and the the sense of guilt I think guilt mm. plays a massive part in addiction as well of if you feel like you're failing if you feel like you're not achieving enough it's kind of like wow okay well you know I, I need to kind of punish myself um and and that's where you can kind of fall back into it sometimes as well so it's kind of like like you said it's all about the balance and actually learning that if if, if you're not treating yourself well how can you be good for others and learning that there is life outside of your bubble out of your bubble and it actually is is good to break that scaffolding that kept you safe for so long because like I always say sometimes it feels that scaffolding can keep us safe but then you can end up in your own prison and sometimes we feel safer in our own prison because at least we know where the walls are but if you stay in that if you stay in that prison for too long you're going to become paralyzed exactly because it's like do you know what I I will forever remember this this was probably about two years ago or so Mm. and I was going through a bit of a self-sabotaging period mentally etc mm. and um I sat down with a friend he's like Tori he's like I don't understand he's like you've got so much potential this thing the other I'm like yeah yeah whatever he's like do you know what I think your real problem is I was like mm. what he's like you don't have a fear of failure and I was like right he's like you have a fear of success and I'm like mate, hold up what mate don't even mate don't even go there I oh go on go on keep going yeah but, I was gonna yeah. say so just to explain that to people for me failure was a comfortable place I yeah. knew it well it was something that okay. I was I was okay with because I'd done it do you know what I mean yeah. I, I'd lived there and even if I wasn't meant to live there I'd put myself there it's fine yeah so actually the idea of success is everything changes do you know what I mean when you actually reach a level of success it's like oh okay like I'm this really is, this is me I'm, now I'm so so glad that you just brought this up because this is absolutely parallel to my story as well and in the sport that I was in when I was working in nutrition and even now with YouTube it's like and even though I've always did well in those things because I always I, I push myself so hard it's like like just like you I'm not so much afraid of failure but there's a big part of me that is very very afraid of success because I still feel like I'd sometimes I don't deserve it even though even though if I'm the one that's achieved it and why me yeah yeah and um like yeah it it definitely comes back to that place of yeah it's just yeah what you just said is just a a massive massive factor in it It, it's it's the it comes back to the the not feeling worthy of that success so then sometimes you can fall back to the addictive patterns and think wow because and also not just afraid uh, one thing for me was not just being afraid of success but also being afraid of happiness because I had lived in a state of depression and anxiety for so many years. And on top of that, you know, enduring the mental and physical abuse, that that was the norm to me. That mm. was where I felt safe. So if I had moments, and you probably noticed this with me when, you know, when we first started hanging out, if I had moments where 
I was so happy and we were laughing and we would be doing fun things. There's a part of me that wanted to damage it because mm -hmm. for me, that was the unknown. The known, the norm to me was to feel sad, to feel ha unhappy, to feel unworthy and to feel numb because I was numbing right. myself with substances. So for me, yeah, it was also the, the fear of success, but also the fear of happiness because it was unknown to me. Of course, I know it now and I'm and I and I I embrace, I embrace it now. But um, yeah, really, really relevant point that you just brought up. Absolutely. Because mm, that's where I, the, the, what I wanted to touch on actually now as well is is how, again, it's that addictive addiction to a feeling whether that be by using external substances or external kind of forces or whether it's purely an internal addiction yeah the impact that can have on your relationships etc like me meeting somebody new a potential love interest for example in yeah. your head and it's like if they're if they're they're too nice like how many times do we oh. hear and I, I know you're a guy but how many times guys and girls guys are trash men are trash <laughs> they're not just to clarify that but how many times do we hear that but it, like realistically we need to take accountability to be a little accountability and be like actually do you know what like half the time we're creating these patterns because it allows us to kind of just justify that yeah well i don't i, I don't deserve a good man clearly exactly i don't, I don't deserve this clearly and then you finally meet a good person and it's like oh well he's gonna mess up he's going to mess up and you almost drive people to you, you you almost force them to mess up mate you mate uh, yeah, you you know you know this touch is so so close to home with me as well i and mm. i i've yeah I, I mean and you know that one of the reasons why i have i've not been in a serious relationship since i've even known you is because the moment i meet someone that i feel like they're good for me they're going to be they they treat me in a kind way it's almost like wow like i don't deserve that i'm going to push them away mm. because I'm going to push them away and I'm going to go back to my prison where I feel safe. Yeah. Cause it's almost like proving yourself right. Isn't it? It's like, nah, do you know what? That This person's going to, everyone else is untrustworthy. This person's not going to be any, any different. And you almost end up looking for those, whatever the behavior is that you've experienced in the past, mm. you almost end up looking for it. And I mean, let's be honest, whatever you're hunting for, you can find, yeah. it may be the smallest fragment of a person. It may just be a pure and innocent, simple slip up or miscommunication or whatever. But in your head, you're like, nah, see, prove myself right. Yeah. And you've just sabotaged that perfectly like, budding relationship whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship mm -hmm. purely because you want that comfort of being isolated again yeah no absolutely like absolutely 100 percent um and it, it comes back to that you know if again like so many of the stories so many of the thousands of people that i've spoken to face to face about it is that the stories are so similar it's that they suffered some kind of loss or abuse or neglect as a youngster and that feeling becomes so ingrained within them that it becomes part of them so even if they have good opportunities in life whether that be with work with relationships with you know travel with whatever it's almost like you you want to damage it because you want exactly. to go back to where you feel safe even though you want to go back to you know what i'm saying you want to go back to that place where you feel safe and i'll give you one very very tragic ex example with me is that um after the person was removed from my life who was, you know, beating me up, et cetera, throughout my younger years and my teens, I was so used to being hurt physically that I would, at the end of every day, I, I, I felt lost, honestly, Tori, I felt lost without that sense of abuse from someone else, that I would get a knife and cut my arms because mm -hmm. to me, it was almost like I needed to feel physical pain to feel normal. And I to know feel. that, that 
yeah, to feel. And I know that that sounds so mad and ridiculous. And looking back now, I think like Jesus, Mars, you know, you're going to have those scars on your arms for the rest of your life. But at the time it was like, I needed to feel that normality. And even though it was that, that, that normality was so wrong. Um, and also I think it was that the physical pain distracted you know, it, the physical mm. pain took away from the mental pain I was feeling inside. 100%. And then again, uh, whatever that is, whether that's the cutting, the exercise, the food, you'll use that again because, you know, it made you feel safe once. So you're going to, mm. and then once you, you know, down that path, it just gets very, very messy. Yeah. I say, because I just want to touch on like when you and I are both talking about isolation, because I don't want people to make the assumption that you're only isolating yourself when you're locking yourself in your room. Um, like an example for me, and I know that y'all have been in similar scenarios. I was surrounded by people. Everybody, when I was going through my most difficult, most self-sabotaging period of my life, yeah, everybody would assume you've got so many friends. Yeah, you're all. I, I remember I got told at work to stop being so happy because mm. it was people were getting the perception that I was dumb and ditzy. Right? Mm -hmm. They told me to stop being so happy. Yet the ironic thing is, I was probably the unhappiest person in the whole of the office do you know what I mean yeah, yeah. But isolation is it's an internal thing it doesn't necessarily mean you are locking yourself away like it, it's, it's you're locking away your feelings you're locking away your truth like, yeah 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 and and and, and yeah like in, in another way of putting it, you know you, you can be you can be alone within a crowd right and 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 sometimes, yeah, like you said, you just want to go back to that 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 place of of not feeling anything rather than feeling the people around you. And mm. um, but no, I I totally can relate to that as well. Totally mm. can relate to that. that okay, that. I feel like we we've dabbled in kind of the dark arts and yeah, <laughs> the darker side of things. But I think it'd be nice to kind of finish on the flip side because obviously both of us have. I'm I'm not. Do you know what I I was about to say. I was a. I actually need to give myself a, a slap on the back of the hand because I was about to downplay my own experiences versus yours. But the fact no. is, exactly. And this is the problem with society. I just fell straight into that trap. Yeah. Whatever your experience, mm. don't dismiss it. Absolutely. Like, for Absolutely. me, my addiction was in regards to self-sabotaging thoughts. Yeah. I, 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 and then in turn, it sabotaged my external. Yeah. But. And for you, obviously, you saw you sourced from ex external things. Both of us have been through something, and I'm sure there are so many people who can relate to to both of our stories and to some of the other stories that you've touched on. Yeah. And we're fortunate enough to obviously have, have come through this. I'm not going to say that we don't have periods of of relapse, mm. um, but I think the vital part of what we've both learned from growing through it is the yeah. self-awareness piece for sure yeah yeah the self-accountability yeah um learning that however much you isolate yourself there is always going to be somebody who cares and the mad thing is it's probably somebody that you least expected exactly exactly yeah no totally and and and, and as well on another positive note i think that, that you know there's really no shit i i feel like i was about to say i feel like men seem to be more ashamed than about you know struggling with these issues than women just because generally speaking i know we don't like to generalize but generally speaking women are a lot more open about their emotions and uh, and the fact that they might be suffering either mentally or physically and i feel like a lot of men because they have that kind of pride i know women can have it too they might they might hold back and and, and not open up about it but for me one of the biggest things as well as speaking to friends and family of course that's not the only remedy i sought out um you know one-to-one -one psychology as well for mm. about two years 
And it's weird because it was even when I was working with patients at the same time, I had my own psychology because no matter how good I could be for other people, I still have my own process to go through. So there is absolutely no shame in going to a psychologist or any or a counsellor or just someone that you can speak to and you can trust to talk to, to open up about your behaviours. You know, I know a lot of people, again, in isolation, think that they, they might feel like they're the only one with those problems. But trust me or not, there's hundreds of thousands of other people out there with a very mirrored situation. Right. And, and for me, working with a psychoanalyst was one of the pivotal things in my recovery because she made she not only listened and made and you know made me feel accepted and that what and not ashamed of what I was doing but she made me aware of why I was doing what I was doing right um and so I would uh, definitely recommend to anyone that's listening to this if you're suffering with any kind of addiction and it feels out of control just reach out for some kind of help even if it is with a counselor because trust me it can really really change your life Right. And I think that's because for me, it was definitely a counsellor as well. And she brought to light a lot of things that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the thing. You might not realise it. You're struggling with an addiction per se. But if you're struggling, period. Yeah. Then, yeah, reach out and talk to somebody. Get some professional help. Like, I know a lot of people who have been to see a counsellor and they're like, nah, do you know what? Didn't like them. I just felt like they were a robot, whatever. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean you don't try again. Yeah. Um, I think I went to at least three or four counsellors before I found my person. And it's very much like, I think, uh, like friends, like doesn't mean the other counsellor is no good, but they just weren't compatible with you. We connect yeah. on different levels with different people. And like you say, where you were working, you were all ex-addicts. So you had a certain amount of empathy with counsellors. You can't expect every counsellor to have gone through every single circumstance. So as, yeah. much as, as much as they'll try to be empathetic towards your situation, it may be a case of actually, do you know what? Do some digging, talk around. A lot of places have free consultation calls as well. Yeah. So you can get kind of an idea of what that person's like, whether you feel like you can open up to them. Yeah. And also, you know, if you're clueless about who to reach out to or where to get help from, go to your GP, go to your GP and talk about it. This is one thing that I did um, with absolutely no shame and, and just said, look, I'm in a place where I fell out of control now um, and I need some help. I don't know who to contact. I don't know when to contact them I don't know if I'm you know eligible to count, contact them it's right. like but it's like everyone deserves help and I and I love what you said a minute ago that you know you were comparing your story to mine and it's not that one is worse than the other it's just that we all go through our own struggles in our own different ways right. um and, and you can't look at someone else and be like but wow you know they're they're in such a bad state and they're not getting help it's like no if you're suffering with something reach out you're and suffer- get help and you're suffering yeah because do you know what? i'm just going to say a random story quickly just before we wrap up yeah. um and this is when i first was aware of context so i remember i must have been early teens um i'd already experienced loss with grandparents and i'd also had friends that had passed away it'd been quite an unfortunate period of life yeah um and then close friends of mine um their cat died mm. and they were devastated and in my head, I was like, they don't have any idea of what I've been through. Like, I- I've lost this person and this person. Like, let's put this in perspective. Like, it's a cat. I understand it's upsetting, but it's a cat. Yeah. But then I really, like, I don't know what forced me to check myself, but I'm so grateful that I did. Because I, I was like, hold up a minute. They have never experienced grief. They mm. have had this cat with them their whole lives. They have never experienced loss. So... Who am I to compare? Like for them, that could be exactly the same feeling as it was for me losing a friend. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't sit there and and go par for par because it 
it, there's so many other variables in regards yeah. to that that yeah. we can't we can't categorize pain. Pain is pain, pure and simple. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. And and another another thing I want to you know we can end on a positive note is that one thing that I've learned as well is that yeah, okay, I probably might have an addictive personality for the rest of my life. Yes, I'm managing it, for, you know, for the majority of the time, but. I've also, on a positive note, you know, become addicted to the sweet things in life rather than mm. just substances that numb me. You know, I'm when I was numbing myself, I, I I didn't appreciate the beauty of nature. I didn't appreciate the trees and the grass and, you know, the smell of certain foods and and also physical touch with other people. A big healing mm -hmm. thing for me was, like, you know how physical I am. Like when I'm with my friends, I'll hug you, I'll kiss you, and for me, even just that touch with other human beings is such a healing power. Mm. Again, you're not gonna experience if you don't come out of that isolation so i'm trying to use addiction to a positive note now and be like you know i'm addicted to all of these beautiful things in life which i blocked out before right um, and they're and they're also healing at the same time as you know as well it is those little things though it is switching that why me to why not me exactly it, it, do you know what i mean like you have every right to be happy just as much as anybody else whatever yeah. you've experienced in life whatever other people have told you like that's irrelevant you're a human being you have a beating heart yeah and we all have as much right to experience this as anybody else exactly as long as your intentions are, are, are good exactly and, and and also another thing is is that we're all equal in life it doesn't matter what you're doing whether you're a you know you're a sports player or you're a you know you're a youtuber you're a cleaner you're a stay-at-home mom we are all equal we're all just human beings experiencing this life in different ways Right. But we can, but we can also all be here to kind of, you know, share our stories and o speak openly about them and and help each other so that we can relate to each other more and. Just, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Be present, guys. Be present. Be present. Be present. That's be one of the, present. Be present. Because you Absolutely. are the present. Exactly. <laughs> and also, not what, not why me. I I say not why me. Try me. Because I'm bigger than it now, and I can overcome. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like. It. I thought you were gonna repeat what I was gonna. What I just said, I'd be like, Miles, you're not listening. But no, you were. I like it. I no, like I've, I know. I've I've got a better one, T. <laughs> not why me, try me. Okay, exactly. ending on a fighting note. I like it. <laughs> Thank you so much for obviously like coming on the podcast and being completely open. Um, it is one of those topics that as we've both discovered just through having this conversation that there's so many components to it and there's so many different angles to discuss it and yeah. experience it and yeah. just by actually having those conversations openly mm. honestly I, I think that this is the best way as a community to kind of grow through absolutely yeah like like we said from the start addiction is not one thing or the other thing it's a very very complex topic and everyone is going to experience it in different ways um, but we all at the end of the day, we all need to remind ourselves that we all deserve help. We all deserve love in our life. We all deserve happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think that should be the end goal for all of us. Right. To remember what the most important things are in this life. Exactly. And you know what? I'm just just because, you know, I'm a sucker with words. Uh, I think one thing to just tweak on that sentence, guys, remove the end goal. Do it now. Happiness, yeah. like, and I know you know this anyway, but happiness is no destination. It is a feeling. It is something that you can create. Exactly. I remember when I, I went to counseling one of the first days, she was like, can you remember a day that you were happy? And mm. at this point, because I'd gone through such a 
turmoil like emotional period that I was remembering myself as a child mm. and uh, she was like okay like remember that feeling etc and where do you feel it and for me it was very much in my chest like I felt happiness in my chest yeah same yeah yeah uh, yeah like it's funny because I remember another friend I asked like he felt it in his head somebody else felt it in their gut um but for me it was my chest and she was like okay what shape is it and for me it was a circle and then it was what color it is. And for me, it was yellow. So I had this big yellow circle. It wasn't that big, actually. It was like the size of my heart. I felt a big yellow circle. As my journey progressed and as I became more and more self-aware, that's when I started to realize, like, actually, this feeling of happiness was very, very closely linked with gratitude, if not exactly the same thing. Yeah. Because obviously you're in certain moments where you feel such an overwhelming happiness, but it's because you're so overwhelmingly thankful for that period. Yeah. And yeah. then it's like, okay, like, I'm not going to feel like this 24-7, and that's okay. But it is, like, you can sit there and, do you know what? I reminisce over laughs that I've had yeah. or experiences yeah. that I've been through. And yeah. whatever is happening to me in that moment, I can feel that feeling. And it just grounds you again. It brings you uh, back and be like, yeah, this, this yeah, is that, a real thing. Yeah, that yeah, that's such a good point to bring up. And it, it's almost like, you know, we, we can all, we can all try our best to find happiness, even in the darkest situations. And even, you know, in the, you know, even currently when I, I, I still su sometimes suffer with depression or anxiety, it's like the smallest moments, you know, when, you know, when we're together as a group, when I'm with my other friends here, when I'm with my little baby nephews, it's like those little, even no matter what I'm going through at that time, if I can just hold on to those moments and really cherish them, and find happiness in those moments and, and it, 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 it almost it overpowers the rest right Mm-hmm. 100% it's, it's like that cheesy saying you know life is not what is it life is not about waiting for the storm to pass it's about learning to dance in the rain and I know it's exactly. cheesy but it's really really true you know and it's something that I, I actually have it written on my wall it's something that I try and pound into my brain every single day and be like you know what okay you're feeling like trash today but we're gonna rock it we're gonna do it in style <laughs> exactly know? and it's temporary <laughs> exactly all this exactly. shit's temporary yeah anyway i'm gonna love you appreciate you and thank you everybody for listening as well um it's thank been a big one today me. thank you it's a, always a pleasure to be on here and thank you for always making me feel so comfortable to open up about these things so thank oh, you very much appreciate you feelings mutual now everybody go and dance in the rain because uh <laughs> i don't know if it's still storm kiara or ciara whatever you want to call her but if it's still raining where you are, go and embrace it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. See you later. Bye.